You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Jonah Berger, who is a marketing professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, an international best-selling author of Contagious, Invisible Influence, and now his latest book, The Catalyst. Dr. Berger is a world-renowned expert on change, word of mouth, influence, consumer behavior, and how products, ideas, and behaviors catch on. He has published over 50 articles in top-tier academic journals, teaches Wharton's highest-rated online course, and popular outlets like the New York Times and Harvard Business Review often cover his work. He's keynoted hundreds of events and often consults for organizations like Google, Apple, Nike, and the Gates Foundation. Jonah, thank you for coming here. Thanks so much for having me. So I have to admit, I've read your other books, your original books, the OG books on influence. And so Contagious, uh, Why Things Catch On, Invisible Influence, The Hidden Force That Shapes Behavior. Tell me, for first time, Jonah, fans or, or people who discover who you are, you have a new book out, The Catalyst, How to Change Anyone's Mind. Is there a preference of order that one should read these in? Kind of like, you know, the Avengers, right? If you just watch the Avengers Infinity Wars and you're like, okay, should I watch Iron Man first? Should I watch Thor? Should I watch the Hulk? Like, what's the order of the canon of Jonah? <laughs> Very generous of you. I, I think the best way to answer that question is to think about what sort of problem you have. I see these books, and I hope others do, like tools. Just like if you have a tool bench, you might have a saw and a hammer and a screwdriver, and all of them are wonderful, but they're good for different sorts of things. I think these books, just like tools, are sort of useful for different types of problems. So Contagious, for example, is all about word of mouth, right? Yes. If you are trying to generate word of mouth, get people talk about a product or a service or an idea, you have something that you want to catch on, you want to leverage earned media or content marketing to do that, generate more effective social media or offline conversations. That's what that book is all about. It's also helps us understand consumer behavior and what drives choice and those things, but it's really about generating word of mouth, why people talk, why they share, and how we can get people to talk about and share our stuff, right? We all know that word of mouth is much more impactful than traditional advertising. We all know that people trust it more and it's more targeted. The challenge is how do we get it? We tend to focus online. It turns out most word of mouth is actually offline, but the key thing we need to do is understand the psychology rather than the technology, right? To get people to talk and share, we have to understand why they do so. And so that's what that book is all about. When I read Contagious, and I recommend it to a lot of people, especially those in the charity sector and figuring out fundraising, but I feel like I would often say, okay, if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point, right, which I feel like was one of his first, like the book that kind of blew things up. It's almost like if you like The Tipping Point, you're going to love Contagious because I feel like you take the ideas of Malcolm's Tipping Point and expand on it and give such practical how-tos. So I will say a couple things. So first, I probably would not be here today if it were not for Malcolm Gladwell and the tipping point. I was in college in the late 90s. My grandmother, as she often did, would send me recommended things. Oh, you'd find this interesting. Oh, check out this book. She suggested I check out a book called The Tipping Point. I read it. I fell in love with the space. I wrote Malcolm a note saying, hey, where can I learn more about this? He was very nice and suggested some other books to read, uh, one called How Hits Happen, which is also a great early 2000s book. But we've learned a bit since then. You know, the science of why people talk and why they share really hadn't come around. Social media 
basically wasn't around when that book came out. And while he talks a lot about social epidemics and how powerful they are, there's less insight into how we generate those social epidemics. And so I think a good analogy might be, you know, the tipping point is like a car mm-hmm. and contagious is like the engine, right? Nice. Word of mouth is the engine that drives social epidemics. Most of us want, yeah, we're interested in social epidemics and what they are. And so I think this is a great book that follows up with some of the research that, you know, many people have done in this space since that book to push the area forward and help add to the already great work that he's already done in the space. Amazing. And then Invisible Influence, tell us about this one. What's that? What tool is that for? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, invisible influence is really about interpersonal influence. The fact that influence is often invisible, and how, by understanding how influence works, we can take advantage of its power. So, you know, others can motivate us, and they can demotivate us. Sometimes people do the same thing as others, and sometimes they do something different. You know, when do people want to be the same? When do they want to be different? When are others motivating? When are others demotivating? And how, by understanding this science, can we live happier, healthier, and more successful lives? And so that's really what invisible influence is all about, sort of the ways that influence often work, almost like a magnet. Sometimes influence attracts, they lead us to do the same thing as as others, and sometimes it repels, sometimes it motivates, sometimes it demotivates. And so all about the different ways influence works, why it's often invisible, why it's so hard to see, and how by understanding its power, we can take advantage of it. It's incredible. So anyone in leadership or running a team or working even maybe with influencers and trying to understand what kind of power they have over the world, this would be a great tool to understand. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Now jumping into part three of the trilogy here, tell us about <laughs> the catalyst. The uh, What was part three? Return of the King? What was part three in Lord of the Rings? I, I'm not sure. You know, when you're talking about it, I almost envision one day, maybe the publisher will put out a complete set. It'll be like all the books <laughs> next to one another. Yeah. You know, they are not like Lord of the Rings. And then it's not like you pick up one and the end of it leads right into the beginning of the next. But they're more like different tools, again, that, you know, when you're building a house, you probably want all the tools, but there's sometimes you want one tool more than another. And it's a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure where you can enter wherever you need. But I think, you know, framing up how I got to the third book might be useful, sort of why I got there personally. So at heart, I'm an academic. So, you know, I've been now at the Wharton School for maybe 15 years this coming July, I think, something like that. You know, before Contagious came out, I was a traditional academic. I did almost all my time was teaching and research. I still love research, but, you know, then 99.9% of my time was teaching and research. Contagious comes out, and it changes my life a little bit. So, you know, I'd hoped that some people would read it. It turned out more than a few people read it. There are over a half million copies out in over 40 countries around the world. And I started getting calls from lots of companies and organizations, everything from big Fortune 500s like the Googles and the Nike and the apples of the world to small startups, uh, B2B and B2C, products, services, and ideas, for-profits and non-profits, political campaigns. I got to learn a lot about marketing. I got to learn about modern business and the way business is done in various different industries. But I also realized there were places, there were things, there were problems that my books didn't answer. You know, At the core, what I realized is everyone who was calling me wanted to change something. 
Mm-hmm. So for the marketers or the salespeople, they wanted to change a customer or a client's mind. Employees wanted to change their boss's mind. Leaders wanted to transform organizations. Startups wanted to change industries. Nonprofits wanted to change the world. But change is really hard. And these organizations were individuals. They were pushing. They were pressuring. They were cajoling. They were listing reasons. They were providing facts, making you know, one more presentation, making one more phone call. And it just wasn't working. And so what I started to wonder is, well, could there be a better way? Could there be a better way to change minds and drive action, not by pushing, but by doing something else? And that's really where the journey that eventually became this book started, right? Very simple problem that I think all of us have, but really the journey uncovered a new approach and a more effective approach to solving that problem. That's incredible. So as far as like when you wrote the first two books and you're continuing to be in the teaching mode, are you like integrating your books into your teaching? Like, is it part of the curriculum or is it just more bonus marks if someone reads them and it kind of helps shape your... uh Yeah. So, you know, I taught a course my first year at Wharton that eventually became an elective called Contagious, Why Products, Ideas, and Behaviors Catch On, that eventually a day or two of that course became the book uh, Contagious. Okay. Some other days of that course became the book Invisible Influence. But eventually I started teaching the marketing core, which is sort of the traditional bedrock of marketing management, the kind of five C's, segmenting, targeting, positioning, four P's that we think of in traditional marketing sort of the intro class where everyone gets the basics of marketing in 12-hour-long sections, which is it's hard to do at all. But that's really where some of the stuff for The Catalyst came out. You know, the ideas of customer centricity is really the core that this book is based on. Rather than focusing on ourselves and the change we want to happen, we need to think about our customer, our client, the person we're trying to change and start with them. And so, you know, I touch on some of these ideas in the class. I also teach a bunch of classes online, you know, on lynda.com, which is now, I think, owned by LinkedIn or Coursera or edX. There are a bunch of courses that I've done on this type of material, but I don't teach courses at Wharton on exactly these issues anymore. Okay. So what gets the point where like eventually there's enough pressure? Is it like students? Is it the publisher? What gets the point where you're like, okay, I'm writing this book. I'm sitting down, I'm going away on a retreat, or I'm going to like hide away for a few days and write this out. What was that impetus for you for The Catalyst? God, for The Catalyst, I was at a speaking event In Italy, actually. Nice. Up in the middle of the night with my, I don't want to guess, but I'll go with six month old, something maybe nine month old, maybe 10 month old, maybe even a little bit older. It's Uh, a foggy period. It's a foggy period. That's okay. (laughs) It is a foggy period. And I, you know, he was up, he needed some milk. So gave him some milk. I could not go back to sleep. So I'm, you know, trying to go back to sleep and I start having some ideas. I'm like, oh, interesting. Like this thing that I just talked about related to this other thing this person said. And well, wait a second, isn't that the same as this other thing? And isn't the meaning of the catalyst in chemistry reducing barriers, right? So, you know, the catalyst, we often think about a catalyst as someone who's a change agent, but in chemistry, catalyst has a very specific meaning, right? In chemistry, a catalyst is something that creates change, not by increasing temperature, increasing pressure, which is usually how change happens in chemistry, but by lowering the barriers to change, by identifying the stuff that's getting in the way and mitigating them. And, and that's really what the catalyst is all about, right? You know, when we try to change things, we often push. 
we often think pressuring, cajoling, facts, figures, you know, for us folks in marketing, we go, I'll just make one more presentation. If we're in sales, I'll just call the client one more time, right? If I just push them a little harder, they'll come around. And it's clear why we think that works, right? If we're in a room and we're trying to move a chair, for example, pushing is a great way to get a chair to go, right? We slide the chair across the floor. It goes in the direction we want it to go. But when we apply that same intuition to people, there's a key problem. Not only are people not chairs, but when we push people, right, people push back. They dig in their heels. They think all the reasons why they don't want to do what we suggested. And so what great catalysts or great change agents do is they don't push harder, right? Mm -hmm. They identify those barriers to change and they mitigate them. They figure out the barriers that are getting in the way and they reduce them. You can almost think about, you know, getting in a car, for example. Imagine your car is parked on a hill. You get in your car, you want to get it to go, so you stick your key in the ignition, you turn on the gas, and you put your foot on the gas pedal. If the car doesn't go, we just think we need more gas, right? If we just push a little harder, things will change, right? Same in the social world. But if the parking brake is engaged, right, if that parking brake is up, it's not going to move. No matter how much we step on the gas, the car's not going to go anywhere. And so that's what this book is really all about. That's what the ideas are all about. How can we identify those barriers to change and mitigate them? And you know, I talk about five key barriers in the book that came from interviews I did with folks in a range of different spaces, everything from top-selling salespeople and consultants to transformational leaders, startup founders, but also folks like hostage negotiators or substance abuse counselors or parenting experts. You know, again and again, these five barriers came up. And so in the Catalyst, I put them in a framework called the REDUCE framework. It's an acronym that stands for reactance, uh, endowment, distance, uncertainty, and corroborating evidence. Each of those is a barrier that often stymies change. But by understanding what those barriers are, endowment, distance, corroborating uncertainty, and corroborating evidence, so all five of them, by understanding what the barriers are, we can reduce them, right, which is what Catalysts do, and make change more, more likely. So all those people that send me those emails, the same email over and over and over again, thinking I'll change my mind and try their software product, I should send them a copy of this book. It's funny you mentioned that. I hadn't made the connection until you said it, but I think you could draw a line. You know, a few years ago, a guy, Tim Ferriss, came out with a book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and there's all this stuff on automation and, you know, outsourcing things and getting other people to do things. And so there's just a lot of folks, I think, that think, hey, you know, if I just send out the same email... Yeah. To a bunch of people, eventually I'll get some hits, right? Throw out enough fishing lines and eventually I'll catch something. Maybe, right? But the problem now is each of those fish is seeing a whole bunch of lines from a whole bunch of people yeah. and they're starting to realize, wait, that shiny thing that's glinting, that actually isn't food. That has a hook attached to it. And so I'm actually not going to go biting there. I'm going to do something else. And so, you know, at the core, and this is a you know, marketing concept, right? But customer centricity, understanding our customers, starting with understanding, starting not with the change we want to achieve, but understanding the person, the organization, the client we're trying to change, and why they haven't changed already. And so I think that is super important. You know, a doctor, you walk into a doctor's office, a doctor doesn't say, let me put a cast on your leg because that's what they're good at and that's what's easy for them. They don't do the same thing for everyone. They go, okay, well, tell me about the problem. First, I'll understand the problem. And once I understand the problem, then I'll prescribe a solution. And so I think if we're helping to be effective salespeople, effective marketers, or effective catalysts more generally, we've got to start with understanding. We have to understand the person or organization or group we're trying to change and only then move to try to change it. 
It's brilliant. Because what's the definition of insanity? It's like doing the same thing over and over, <laughs> expecting different results. Yes, that's a nice quote. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think that's you know true to some degree, and I don't mean to suggest you know there are pebbles and there are boulders. Right? So there are things that are small things that we may want to change that you know, sending the same email a whole bunch of times may work for. You know, on the margin, if all you're trying to do is generate awareness, maybe that's going to work. But for most things, most boulders, most bigger things that are more difficult to move, more difficult to change, the same one-size-fits-all approach really doesn't fit anyone anymore. Yeah. So you mentioned the five key barriers. Can you tell us a bit about the first one, first barrier there? Yeah, reactance. sure. Yeah. So the first barrier is reactance. And mm-hmm. I think the best way to explain reactance is to tell a story yeah. about something that was popular in the US. I'm not sure if it was popular in Canada, but you've probably at least heard of it. Are you guys familiar with these things, Tide Pods? You throw yes, them in the laundry? Yes. Yeah, and, and, and kids were eating them. And, well, yeah. hold on, hold on. We're going to go there oh, in a second. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> so Tide, owned by Procter & Gamble, a number yeah. of years ago, wants to make laundry faster and easier. Yeah. So what do they do? So they spend some money on R&D. They realize there are a few problems. People never know how much detergent to put in the washing machine. The detergent is sticky. Sometimes it spills. It gets on the yep. counter. And it yep. turns out some of the detergent would be better to go in later and some earlier. And they can't do that with liquid detergent. So they do some R&D. They come out with something called Tide Pods that solves all those problems. Sort of set it and forget it. Chuck it in the laundry. One little pod, one little colorful thing. Different parts of the detergent are different colors. And they're released at the right times and do a great job. They spend $100 million on marketing. And they think they can take a big chunk of the over billion dollar laundry industry. Okay, so Tide Pods come out. They're doing pretty well. And then there's a problem, which you alluded to, which is that people are eating them. Yeah, which is crazy. So, and you say it's crazy because you're saying, well, aren't they filled with chemicals? And you're exactly right. They are filled with chemicals. But they are beautiful looking. They look like beautiful. And people are eating them. So there's a funny video online saying they look good enough to eat. There are sort of Instagram photos showing them melting on a pizza. Suddenly young people, mostly young people, are challenging one another to eat them. It's called the Tide Pod Challenge. Okay, now imagine you're a Tide executive in this situation. You're sitting there going, well, what are we supposed to do? People should know that they shouldn't eat Tide Pods, but just in case, let's remind them. So they put out a big announcement saying, don't eat Tide Pods. Right? Yep. And in case that's not enough, they hire a celebrity, American football fame, Rob Gronk Gronkowski, shoots a public service announcement saying, don't eat Tide Pods, never eat Tide Pods, don't do it. Okay? They think this will be the end of it. They made an announcement, they hired a celebrity, they think it'll be the end. Well, if you look at the data, you see a really interesting pattern. Look at Google searches, for example. So it's going along, it's slowly increasing. Tide comes out with their announcement. Pre-NG comes out with their announcement. The hope is that it reduce interest in the Tide Pod challenge. That's not what happens. Interest in the Tide Pod Challenge shoots up over 400%. And it's not just parents wondering what their kids are up to. Visits to poison control shoot up as well. In the next two weeks, more people will come into poison control than had in the two years prior. Essentially, a warning becomes a recommendation. Telling people not to do something actually makes them more likely to do it. And wow. you're probably sitting there going, okay, that's great. Listeners are sitting there, but you know, I don't work for Procter & Gamble. I'm not trying to get people to not do something. I'm trying to get them to do something. But it turns out the same idea applies, right? Underlying this instance, it's an example of a much broader phenomenon called reactance. When pushed, whether pushed to do something or were pushed not to do something, people push back. Right. And so the challenge is we have to reduce reactants, right? We can't just push them. And so I'm happy to talk more about reactants and sort of how it works, but that's an overview of the challenge of the Tide Pod challenge, if you will. So if I was to send an email saying, don't click the link below, don't do it, are you saying that they're likely to actually click it? 
Yeah. I mean, so I think at the core, the important thing to remember is, and sometimes people talk about reverse psychology, and I think that's a cute term, but that's not exactly right. So reactance is basically the idea that people want to have freedom and autonomy. I want to feel like I'm driving. I'm the one in the driver's seat of my life. Mm. Why did I buy this product, use this service? Why am I interested in doing something? Why am I supporting an initiative at the office? I'm doing it because I like it, right? Because I think it's a good idea. But anytime we, whether we are a marketer, a salesperson, a colleague, try to influence someone, now it's not clear who's in the driver's seat them Mm. or us. And because they're worried it's us, they become less likely to do it. Essentially, people have an almost ingrained anti-persuasion radar, almost like a missile defense system that goes off when someone's trying to persuade them. So think about how we avoid or ignore ads. Think about how we avoid or ignore sales pitches over email. We just click delete. You know, On LinkedIn, we archive the conversation and and we move on. We know someone's trying to persuade us, so we ignore it. Even worse, we counter-argue. Right? We seem like, you know, think about a meeting, right? We're presenting at a meeting, everyone's sitting there and they're shaking their heads, but they're not just shaking their heads. What they're really doing is sitting there thinking about all the reasons why what we're suggesting is wrong, why it won't work, why it's too expensive, why it will be difficult to implement, why it won't you know, fit with existing processes and procedures. And so they poke and prod our argument till it comes crumbling down. And so at the core, right, if pushing doesn't work, what does? And what does is we have to allow for autonomy. Right? Mm. To reduce reactants, we have to stop trying to persuade people and get them to persuade themselves. We have to stop trying to sell people and get them to buy in. And so I know that sounds a little bit like magic. I'm happy to talk a little bit more about some of the specific strategies to do that. I think in the, yeah, in the book I talk about five or six, but that's a key insight, right? Allowing for autonomy. Um, Maybe give me, me one strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah one, sure. One, yeah. Way, yeah, yeah. one simple strategy is to do what I'll call providing a menu. Mm. And so imagine you're in that meeting. Okay, you're trying to persuade a client or a boss, whatever it is, and everyone's shaking their head yes, but they're, they're sitting there counter-arguing. When we give people one option, they focus on all the reasons why they don't like that option. But if we do something else, if we give people multiple options, it shifts mm. their role. Right? Wow. Because now, rather than sitting there thinking about all the reasons they don't like what we suggested, instead they're focused on which one they like better. Instead of saying, hey, I think you should do this, if you say, hey, I think you should do this or this, which one do you think is better for you? Wow. Now they have a different job. Which one do I think is better for me? And because they're focused on the upsides of the different options, they're much more likely to make a choice that you like at the end of that interaction. And it's called providing a menu because notice what you're not doing. You're not giving them any choice. Right? You're giving them a limited set of choices, not an overwhelming number, but a limited set of choices. But by giving them that choice, you're allowing for autonomy. They get to choose. You chose the choice set, but they get to choose from within it. And so in some sense, it's guided choice. You're not forcing them down a particular direction, which they will ignore or push back on, but you're guiding them or moving them in a particular direction, but allowing them to participate. Right. And so that's one. Should I talk about another one or? Please. Yeah. That that one's, I'm going to use that one. I'm going to start doing that in our sales process. Yeah. Yeah, And by the way, you can also do that one at home, right? You know, uh, kids often push back. No, I don't want to, you say, eat your dinner. I don't want to eat my dinner. Get dressed. I don't want to get dressed. Parenting experts talk about something very similar. Say, give them a choice. Which do you want to put on first, your pants or your shirt? Which do you want to eat for dinner first, your chicken or your cauliflower, right? Yeah. Now I'm focused on, wow, rather than thinking about what I don't want, I'm focused on which of those things I'd like better. You've given me a job and you've allowed me to choose and I'm much happier because of that. One more example, one more sort of strategy is what I would call ask, don't tell. And what do I mean by that? Well, too often when we're trying to persuade, we tell people. 
right? When mm. we're trying to change people, we tell them what we want them to do. This is what you should do. These are the reasons that you should do it. As we talked about people don't like that. They push back. So what can we do? Well, questions are often a much more effective way to get people to change. I was talking to a startup founder a number of years ago, and she was saying that she was having trouble motivating her team. So there was like a new version that was due, a new version of the product that was due in a few weeks, and everyone had to put in extra hours, and they didn't want to do it. And uh, she was having trouble getting people to be motivated. So she called a meeting, and rather than tell them, hey, you need to work late, you need to do X, Y, and Z, instead she asked a question. Hey, what kind of company do we want to be? Wow. And people thought about it, and they said, oh, yeah. Uh, she was like, you want to be a good company or a great company? And you know how I answered for that, right? They answered, oh, we want to be a great company. She said, okay, how do we get there? And she had a real conversation with them about how they thought they should get there, right? People thought about things. They suggested different things. And in the meeting, she said, great, based on your feedback, we're going to do these things, right? And people were much more likely to be on board for a couple reasons. First, right, when you tell people things, they push back and they counter-argue. Again, when you ask them for their opinion, they are participating. I am very happy to give you my opinion. Now, rather than figuring out what I don't like about what you said, my brain is focused on my opinion, and I'm very happy to give that opinion, and you've given me a job, and I feel like I've participated, right? But second, later on, when you come back and you say, great, based on your feedback, we're going to do this, it's much harder for me to say I don't want to do it because I've already committed to the conclusion. If yeah. I've suggested that the best way we can be a great company is for people to put in extra hours, it's going to be hard for me not to put in the extra hours because I suggested it. And I want to be consistent with whatever I said previously. And so again, you're not asking people anything. She's not sitting there going, hey guys, would you prefer to spend more time at home on the weekend? Because that they would say, yeah, of course. Right? She's asking the right questions. She's asking a set of questions that guides them down a particular journey that encourages them to reach a conclusion she was interested in the first place but also allows her to collect information to reach potentially even better conclusion than she could have gotten to in the first place by allowing people to participate and allowing them to have an important role in that journey. It's genius, and they're internally motivated. Yes, exactly right, right? And so wow. rather than you know us forcing them to do something, they're much more likely to do it. Wow. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So Jonah, I want to talk about the fourth barrier, uncertainty. I know there's so many we can talk about, but tell me about this fourth one, uncertainty, and how that works. Yeah. So I think the best way to talk about uncertainty is to use an example we're probably familiar with, and that is the company Dropbox. Yes. And so Dropbox is a big, you know, billion dollar at this part, unicorn, uh, very successful. But We use it, them, I send them money every month. Oh, you do? Them. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to make a plug for Dropbox, but I'm making an implicit plug for Dropbox. Yeah. But when we think about companies that get that large and successful, oh, they must have been successful out the bat. But they actually weren't. They had a lot of trouble getting traction. And part of the reason why is that people were already doing something. Yep. We all have the status quo bias. We're all attached to stuff we're doing already. In yep. this case, people already had a way to store files. They stored them on their desktop. Yep. They were used to doing it that way. They were familiar with that way. They didn't know what the cloud was. They didn't want to give their files, those hard-earned files, away to someone else without knowing exactly where they were. They were uncomfortable. They didn't want to do it. And so Dropbox was trying to figure out, well, how do we get more customers? They thought about buying Google keywords. They thought about spending a bunch of money in advertising. But they realized that wouldn't solve the fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem was people were uncertain. Sure, mm -hmm. Dropbox said they were great, but people don't know whether Dropbox is actually great, right? Because Dropbox saying they're great doesn't provide a lot of information, right? No. So what could they do? And so they did something really interesting. They gave Dropbox away for free. So anyone who wanted to use Dropbox could get mm -hmm. two gigabytes of storage for free. And you could say, well, hold on, how do you make money by giving away something for free? Anyone who's ever had a lemonade stand knows you can't make money by giving away something for free. But yep. they didn't just give away something for free. They harnessed a principle that we now today know is freemium. Yes. And whether you're familiar with freemium from Dropbox or something else, you're probably well familiar with the idea of freemium. But the idea of freemium is mixing a free option with a premium option. Yes, we're giving yeah. away two gigabytes of storage for free, but we're going to encourage you to upgrade. Yeah. Now, consumers love freemium. They love things for free, but brands love it as well because it reduces the uncertainty, right? Yes. It eases that uncertainty. I don't know if Dropbox is going to be good. Sure, Dropbox says they're good. How do I know? Well, yeah. now I can try it myself. And that idea of freemium has been used basically everywhere on the Menchie's web. Menchie's yogurt? So I go to Menchie's and I don't know about this new flavor, but they give me a little cup to try yeah, it. They give you a sample. But what's yeah. important, so let me get there in one second. What's important is what you just said isn't freemium, right? It's a version of freemium. But when we think about freemium, we think software as a service and online. But we would think, oh, I can't do that for ice cream. Oh, how do I do freemium for cars? Oh, what about doctors? But the same thing is true. The example you just gave with ice cream is a perfect example of the concept behind freemium. It's hmm. not about freemium per se. It's about lowering the barrier to trial. Mm -hmm. Whether it's free samples, whether it's test drives, whether it's money-back guarantees, all of these things do, they lower the upfront cost or barrier to trial, 
right? If I don't know if something's going to be any good, why do I want to pay all this money and take all this time up front to switch if I don't know it's going to be so good? But if yeah. you lower that barrier to trial, hey, I don't know if this new car will be better than my old car, but hey, if you let me to go check it out for free, I experience it. I get a sense of whether it's better or not, whether it fits for me or not. And because of that, I'm much more likely to buy it. And so the broader principle is the idea of easing uncertainty by lowering the barrier to trial, by making it easier for people to experience the value of an offering, whether because it's free, whether because you gave them a sample, even renting versus buying at full price. All these things are examples of lowering that barrier to trial, making it easier for people to experience the value of what's being offered. Speaking of that, and I'm gonna give you a challenge. So a lot of folks listening to the show are in the professional services realm. They're not, you know, lawyers or accountants, but they're, you know, marketing service providers. So what can they do? What any suggestions of like a service they can offer or an experience they can provide? I work on these principles with lots of companies and organizations. And I think this idea of giving away a taste of the experience you offer is so key. Right. Mm. So if I'm a doctor, how can I give away a consultation or an exam yep. free? You know, mechanics do that, right? Consultants often do a diagnostic for free, but then yeah. they charge you to solve the problem. Uh, SEO audits, people do SEO audits or they yeah. do a, a brand and discovery. The, yeah. And the key here though, right, is same with freemium. If you give away too much free food, no one needs to buy the product, right? If you give away not just a free sample of your smoked sausage on aisle three in the grocery store, but you give away a full meal, well, I don't need to buy the product because I'm not hungry. And so you need to give enough that gives people a sense of what you're offering and why it's valuable, but not so much that they're full right? Not, not so little that they don't have the sense because that's part of the problem. Sometimes organizations give away just a very little bit, but if you just give a very, very little bit, I don't know why the thing I'm upgrading to is so good. If I don't have a sense of why it's good or not, I'm not going to do it. New York Times dealt with this with how many articles to give away free a month, right? They found when yeah. non-subscribers could get you know 20 articles for free, nobody subscribed because 20 articles are more articles than most people read a month. But if they only give away one article for free a month, it's not yeah. enough to give people a sense of what the New York Times offers and sort of encourage them to upgrade. So picking that threshold, deciding what to give away, right? Again, do you give away everything for a limited time? You know, Do you give away some things for unlimited time? Dropbox gives away two gigabytes of storage for as long as you want it. Pandora ad-free for ads yeah. for as long as you want it, but if you want to get rid of ads, you got to pay. But then also think about really managing that transition from free or the initial version to the premium version. And I think yeah. this is where you know companies like Skype and LinkedIn and others have not figured out how to solve it, right? Many people you'll ask, well, oh, LinkedIn has a premium version? I had no idea, right? If no one knows you have a premium version, they're not going to upgrade. But second, if they don't understand how the premium version is better than what they have already, there's no reason for them to upgrade. You know, it's almost like imagine you're walking by a hotel and they have a really fancy VIP club in the basement. It yeah. may be great, you might really like it, but if you don't see it, you don't know what you're missing. Right. Whereas if there's a hedge, if it's an outdoor, you know, if you're in Miami and you walk on that boardwalk or whatever it is in South Beach and you see, oh, there's sort of a club, but I can't completely see inside because there's a hedge, yep. but there's music blasting and it sounds like fun. I want to know what's on the other side. And the only way to find out. Is to see it. So like Canva is a free tool out of Australia, but everywhere over the tool is if you want these features, whenever you get to the place, it's like you're always running into the premium features every time you use it, which is like you can ignore that or you can eventually be, you know, whittled down to finally caving in and buying. 
Yeah, there's a website you might have heard of called care.com, which I think does an amazing job of this. So it's a place where people can find, you know, caregivers of any type. So you have an elderly parent, you can find them care. You have a kid, you can find a babysitter, a nanny, whatever it might be. Signing up is free. You can create an account. You can search all the profiles for free, right? So I get down that journey. I might be yep. worried, oh, I'm not sure I'm, people are going to be on there. Nope, you can yep. do that for free. Oh, I'm not going to be sure there are going to be people I like. Nope, you can do that for free. Oh, I'm not sure that people are going to respond to my ad. Nope, uh, you get responses to your ad for free. If you want to respond to the person who responded to your ad, now you got to pay. Right? And so it tries to walk people as close as possible. And by the way, freemium is not about tricking people. It's not at the outset they no. pretend it's something different. It's just they say, look, you know, we got to make money at some point. It's not completely free. If you're finding the service valuable, you're going to give us some money. And you have, yeah. by the way, because you signed up, you found some people, you created a profile, you sent emails. Well, okay, I'm willing to throw them a couple bucks because it's clear to me it is valuable. And so yeah. that's when I think these things work. Less so when they constantly remind you of all the things, but when you run into them yourself and you go, man, I wish there was more of this. Well, yeah. okay, you can pay us for more of it, right? No one expects at the grocery store where there's a free sample that you get free dinner. No, yeah. you expect you get a sample. You know, for dinner, you got to pay for it. And so that's where freemium can really work out well. Yeah. And Clutch and Upcity are two great examples in the marketing industry of free listings. But if you want to be listed at the top or you know, have shiny spots all around your listing, then you pay a little. So, yeah, and uh, I think some people are more than happy to pay, particularly once they've reduced that uncertainty for themselves. It's one thing if I go, man, I'm going to pay this money, but how do I know so many people are going to see my listing? If on the other hand, I go, wow, you know, this many people are seeing my listing, and this many people are seeing the listing that's on the top of the page. Well, now I have insight into why it might be worth spending the money to show up at the top of the page. And so now you're not forcing me to pay you, but I'm willing to pay you because I see that the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. And I think there's that balance of also, you know, don't giving away so much. I think like in RFPs and RFQs, someone may request too much stuff. And then the agencies and the marketing folks get bitter because they gave away too much. They oh, gave yeah. too big of a sample and, and then they didn't get chosen. And then they're mad and bitter and never do an RFP again. And I think, you know, this is challenging, right? So I'm a small business owner myself, right? I have yep. a consulting firm and I work with a range of clients. And yep. sometimes someone says, oh, hey, can we pick your brain for 15 minutes? Yeah. And, you know, what I will often say is that I'm more than happy to talk to you for 15 minutes, but I can't give you a lot of answers and share a lot of thought. I'm more than happy to work together. I'm more than happy to give you a sense of how I work with clients, but I'm not willing to review a 50-page PowerPoint deck and come prepared with solutions. You know, I'm willing to have an intro conversation, talk about how I work with clients, you know, connect you to some of my existing clients if you'd like more information, and I would love to work with you, and I'd love to give you some solutions. But if I give you so many solutions in our first meeting that you say, great, I don't need to hire you, it's a little bit unfair for me and also unfair to the other clients I work with who are paying for that time. And so it's about, I think, whatever industry you're in, striking that right balance between giving some away for free, but not so much. What you just said, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to use that as a template and email. That's a great way to put it. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to chat today. I'm happy to, we got maybe one or two more wrap-up questions, happy to answer them, but otherwise nope. it's been really fun to, to chat about this stuff. Oh, it's been awesome. So, okay. So I'm going into Home Depot. I got my first day on the job in the marketing industry. I got my tool belt, right? So I grabbed my three books. I got my three tools here from you, Jonah. Are there other tools that you'd suggest of people to add to their tool belt as they go into the world of marketing, or if they're already on the job site, other tools that they should have on their belt besides these three? 
Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it would take hours for me to list all the other wonderful books that are out there. You know, some of my favorites, Made to Stick is a wonderful book, Predictably Irrational is a wonderful book, nice. Power of Habit is a wonderful book, Cialdini's Influence is an oldie but goodie, famous wonderful book, you know, Gladwell's book, you know, all of those are great books. I, I feel bad anytime I list books, there are many 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 authors out there who <laughs> who I also enjoy but don't have time to list all their books, but you know, I think there's lots of interesting stuff going on today in marketing. You know, to me, marketing has changed a lot. When I think about marketing, when I teach marketing, you know, it's really the intersection of data science and human behavior. Sure, some of marketing is sales. Sure, some of marketing is advertising. But it's really analytic-driven insights that allow us to make better decisions, whether that's decisions about what product to design, whether that's decisions about what marketing channel to use, uh, whether it's decisions about our go-to-market strategy. You know, all of these are things that are driven by data and human behavior. Marketing is an amazing job in today's day and age. You know, we don't have to make guesses. We can use data, but it's also not only about data. We've got to understand the human behavior side. And so no better time to be in marketing than today. Yeah. And I want to talk about little frozen yogurt samples on your site. So jonaburger.com slash resources, the resource section that you can put in your email and you get this free access. Tell us about some of these, the workbook, the framework, the discussion guide. What are some things that you people are, can access? You were right. There's samples of frozen yogurt. You were exactly yes. right. You know, there's a one pager there with the framework of the each letters of reduce and sort of how they work. There's a guide to changing a client's mind. There's a guide to changing a boss's mind or an organization. And there are also resources for the other books. So how to make something catch on, how to be more influential, and all those other aspects as well. Awesome. Okay, last question for you, Jonah. Uh, app that you're loving right now, and you're saying, "Man, keep an eye on it. This thing is doing something in the world, and you gotta, you gotta watch this thing." <laughs> app that I love, man. You know, and maybe you don't I, love it. You just find it fascinating. You're like an observer, and you're like, "Wow, what in the world is going on right there?" I'll just pick something in particular. Which Nike has an app for sneakers called SNKRS that is nominally about shoes, but it's really about opening up a content channel with your customers to engage with them on a daily basis. I think what's so powerful about content marketing, and it costs money, it's content marketing isn't free, but the more time people spend with you, the more they're going to eventually buy from you. Right, And so rather than spending that time telling people how great you are, which people are not interested in and they don't want to listen to because they don't know whether you're telling the truth, instead, what this app does, it has lots of beautiful pictures of sneakers. Yes, you can buy sneakers, but it also has you know examples of different ways, people wearing styles and things going on in the industry. And it's just a great example of a brand opening up a channel to have a conversation with their consumer or customer that then later, because the consumer is spending more time on that app, they're going to be more likely to buy shoes from that brand. And so any organization can think about that, right? Financial service firms, not only should an app be, hey, here's a great way to find my balance, but it should be a way to learn about managing your finances better and doing other sorts of things. You know, the more we can make these things daily use aspects, I did a project a number of years ago with LinkedIn that was about exactly this. LinkedIn used to be very transactional. I go there when I want a job. They want to transition to sort of daily use, which they've done by using content, right? And so the more we can create engaging content, the more we can engage people outside of merely purchasing from us, which will help us much more in the long run. This is awesome. Thank you. Dr. Jonah Berger on the show. His latest book, The Catalyst, How to Change Anyone's Mind, available on Amazon, of course, but also in Canada at your local Indigo bookstore and maybe also your local community bookstore. Thank you for being here, Jonah. Thanks so much for having me. All right. We'll see everyone next week on Marketing News Canada. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. 
For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.